I don't know about you, but I find in life so often what happens is, is that sometimes we try to segment life into different aspects. Kind of like in this first slide here, it kind of talks about the different aspects and different parts of our life. We have this emotional part of our life, the social part, the intellectual, the spiritual, the physical. And, and sometimes we don't, for some reason, don't seem to understand that how these interact. But in reality, we know they interact. I have to give you a very personal story about how that works this morning. Last Sunday morning, um, after the message, uh, after the second service, uh, I had a couple of people come to me that love me. Um, I had to stress that. Um, that said to me something. He said, you know, uh, uh, just this morning in one of the illustrations, you got a couple of Bible facts backwards. And I'm going, I did? And they said, yeah. Uh, and when I was telling the story, some of you might not even caught it. Uh, last, this, last Sunday I was talking about Daniel, and I kind of started the story off on the right place in Daniel chapter 1. Between Daniel chapter 1 and Daniel chapter 6, I kind of combined two stories. Uh, it really didn't make a difference in the long, long run in regard to what I was talking about. But it was the, the fact that I, that I did that, and, and I'll just tell you the reason I have to make an excuse, was before the service, actually I'd only studied, and, and I knew the stories, it was actually, there's two stories, actually two or three stories in those first few chapters, one of the three guys in the fiery furnace and one of Daniel who gets thrown into the lion's den, and, and they're all friends, and they all start off together, and they go through this whole process, and so uh, I hadn't really studied back, and looked back on that, because I knew it so well, I grew up with those stories. But you know, sometimes as you get older, I said, well, my, it's early senility. Uh, you just don't, I didn't, have, I got up here and last Sunday morning and I do something that I do often, which is I, is I, all of a sudden something comes to me and I say, hey, I need to say something about that. And I haven't really looked at it. And then usually I remember it well enough to do it, but for some reason I didn't. And so when I got home, you know, I get home and I'm going and, and I focus on these, this one little thing where I kind of got a couple of facts missed that, but really didn't make a difference in the long, long run, which I was reminded of several times. Um, but I focused on that all Sunday afternoon. And I want to tell you, I had last Sunday afternoon was a lousy day for me. You ever done something and you just beat yourself silly over it? You know, you just sit and agonize over it and you agonize over it. And you ag- I, was so, I was so distraught over that. I'm going like, man, I don't mess up Bible stories. I know Bible stories. I study you know, I studied 20, 25 hours last week for that message. I mean, and I have not looked at that passage because it was something I was going to add to to give a little more uh, detailed background work in there. And, and I've done it anyway. And, and so about 2 a.m. Uh, Monday morning <clears throat> when I finally went to sleep, uh, I guess I'd worn myself out from being emotionally kind of connect, disconnected. The weirdest thing was this week I had more more notes and more emails from people saying, thank you so much for last week's message, da-da-da, you know, and going through all this stuff. You know, I'm going like, well, God can use, uh, you know, foolish things to, you know, could, whatever, you know. And I don't know if that's a good scripture connotation there. But the issue is, is that even God can use mistakes, uh, things that, you know, that are, aren't really clear. But sometimes what happens is emotionally we become so connected to something we've done in our life that it hinders us from thinking about anything else. That ever happened to you? I mean, you go for days and days and days and you just get something in your mind and it just becomes something you obsess over. And you know what happens? You know what the whole problem was last Sunday afternoon? I was only thinking of myself. I was kept asking myself this question. Why am I so upset about this? Why am I so upset about this? Why personally? I mean, it wasn't a big deal. It didn't change the world. You know, I'm, am I concerned that people will think I'm stupid? Or, or that I didn't study? What's the deal? But I obsessed over that all Sunday afternoon. 
And my daughter, who is a professional counselor, by the way, uh, she s- said to me Sunday afternoon, she looked at me and she said, Dad, and this is kind of her style, she said, Dad, she said, you know, we know you're not perfect, just get over it. <laughs> so um, there is a connection between all the parts, emotional, spiritual, all those, I, I say all that to say that, that there's a strong connection. And one of the things that we have to understand in this series we've been talking about is how the strong connection that if we are not emotionally mature persons, that it hinders us in our growth as Christians. It hinders us in really loving people well. Uh, there's a couple of myths that are out there about Christian life. Myth number one is this, when I accepted Christ and he lives in me, growing into an emotionally, spiritually mature adult is natural. You know, when I accept Christ, it's just natural to grow into an emotionally, it just happens naturally. Because, you know, when you're born as a person, it's kind of natural to grow, right? But as a Christian, the Bible tells us clearly time and time again that it's not just natural. We can, because Paul had such a frustration with the Corinthian church. And he talks about it, and then you read in the letters to the Corinthians, he talks about his frustration because he says, you should have been by now be mature, but you still are drinking milk like a baby. These are talking to people who've been Christians for years and years and years and who was following Christ. We don't become automatically, uh, we don't automatically grow spiritually or emotionally uh, just because we become a Christian. We do have a resource that we never have before that allows us to grow called God's Spirit that lives in us. But we have to yield to his spirit so that his spirit will work in us to allow us to grow and to become the mature adults emotionally and spiritually that he wants us to be. The reason I think sometimes we, we get confused is because we read one verse out of context, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, which says this, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Yeah, God wipes out the, the past. He forgives us for all those things. The old is gone. But the thing is, is that we have to, it's a process. It's a process. We live in an instant world where we just like to go and have everything done just like that, instantly. And the growth process as a believer is not something that happens instantly. We have to begin a process. We're going to talk about that process next week. A second myth that we have so often is this, that Christians, that the Christian's ability to love those around them is qualitatively different than those outside the church. The Christians just love better. Well, I hate to tell you this. I think we have the potential to love better because we have God's Spirit living in us, but we don't automatically do that. The saddest study I've read recently is in a book by George Barna. George Barna is kind of the gallop of uh, the Christian world. He does all kind of research and polls and stuff, and he wrote a book called Think Like Jesus. And in that book, he talks about Christians and their worldview, how we as Christians incorporate. It's not a global view. It's a worldview. It's about how do we view the world and how do we filter things? What filter do we do things through? And is the actions of Christians any different from people who are outside the church? And he found, sadly, that it's not much difference. The divorce rate's not much different from people inside the church and outside the church. Uh, We have just as many parenting issues. Uh, we have, uh, we have this, uh, there seems to be a lot of conflict and a lot of not hang, ha- handling conflict well for people inside and outside the church. It's similar to the Christians and non-Christians. We wished that we as believers were all qualitatively more loving than those uh, outside the church, but it's not always true. The issue is so often, it's once again, it's a process of growth, and we need to define ourselves and ask ourselves this question, you know, where am I emotionally and how does it affect me spiritually? 
This morning we're talking about how to grow into an emotionally mature adult, and it's important for us to understand what that means because if we're not emotionally mature, let me tell you what it means to be emotionally immature. It means that we focus all on ourselves. And the thing we have to understand is we have to first uh, talk about and understand where we are. Uh, several weeks ago when we began this series, the second week of the series, we talked about going back in order to go forward. We have to look back and look at ourselves in order to go forward. And I want to go, take us back there this morning for a little while. And I want to begin the process of unpacking something that we'll finish, finish unpacking next week. And that is, you know, over the last several weeks of the la- on, the la- on the back of your, of your bulletin, um, your sermon outline each week, there's been an examine me part where you kind of ask yourself some questions. Well, what that's for, let me tell you what it's for. What it is is that you have been, if you were honest with yourself, you've been asking yourself some hard questions. And those hard questions are to help us to understand where we are emotionally and spiritually. Now, if only if you're honest with yourself. A lot of people take tests and cheat. You know, we even cheat ourselves. You're cheating yourself if you're not honest about where you are with this. So next week what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the whole thing all of the weeks together, and a guide to help you, to, and a key to help you to understand, to grade yourself, no one else will see this, to understand where you are emotionally and how it affects you spiritually. But this morning, let me give you a little insight into a couple of things. In your bulletin, there's, a, there's, there's not only the bulletin insert, uh, which has the information about the message and some stuff, but there's a second thing, there's a second little insert, that call, it's called Levels of Emotional Maturity. Levels of emotional maturity. Now pull that out real quickly because I am not going to, um, I'm not going to, it's not on the screen, so you're not going to be able to see it up there. I'm going to talk about this for just a moment here. Levels of emotional maturity. Um, the reason most of us lack spiritual maturity is because we, we are hindered in, in regards to our emotional maturity. We're focused too much on ourselves. Let's, let's just kind of understand the levels of emotional maturity. On the, it starts with infants. You know, that's kind of where we start off with. What is an infant like emotionally? Well, an infant, a real infant, is one who feels a need, but the only way they respond to a need is what? They cry. That's what they do. They must wait for the parents to figure it out themselves. They become angry if the parent is attentive, is inattentive. That's what an infant does, right? Now, the issue is, is that we can become adults... And we can look like we're adults, but we can still be emotionally an infant. Let me tell you how that works. Uh, a person who is an emotional infant but it's an adult treats other people as objects to meet our needs. They're, they're people who act like tyrants and win through intimidation, and they're unable to empathize with others at all. That's an emotional infant, an adult. Now, we hopefully grow up a little bit we become a child emotionally. A child, a real child, what they do emotionally is they can communicate but they're still dependent on others. And they act out feelings of pain, fear, and resentment, and they lack skills to openly discuss and negotiate getting needs met. They just kind of like act it out. And they're a little bit better than the infant, but not a whole lot better. But so often as an adult, sometimes we act like an emotional child. And some of the things we do there is we act out resentment through distance, pouting, whining, clinging, lying, withholding, appeasing. We do all those things. And I put lying again, by the way. Uh, the thing is, is that so often what we do is we just simply can't, don't, can't even tell the truth, but we do all these things. That's an adult, you don't, don't, don't look at anybody who acts this way. But, uh, but the issue is we know adults who act like this, right? That's an emotionally, a way a child acts. And, the, and an emotional, an adult who has, acts like an emotional child does not openly and honestly express needs. They kind of like, like, they don't just simply share the needs, they just act them out. 
Hopefully we get past that stage, but you know, we become, as a person, we become an adolescent. An adolescent who is a mature adolescent, but emotional adolescent is a person who rebels against parental authority. You're going like, well, I thought that was bad. No, that's natural, parents. I hate to tell you that. If your child is a, becoming a teenager and they're rebelling against your authority, guess what? It's a natural part of growing up. Not necessarily like it, but it's just part of growing up. Uh, they define self in reaction to others. They, they, their fears of being treated as a child. And, and, and they, they say things like, don't tell me what to do. Now, you can be an adult and act like an adolescent as well. You cannot, uh, and a person who does that cannot give without feeling controlled or resentful. They have this capacity for mutual, their, their, their capacity for mutual concern is missing, and they feel defensive, threatened, or criticized anytime any criticism is directed their way. They always feel threatened. They can't take criticism very well. That's an adult who acts like an adolescent. Now, I'd say all that to say this. The goal is, on the back of the sheet, is to become an emotional adult. Because an emotional adult is a person who can grow spiritually. They don't have all these blocks in their life to allow them to not be focused on themselves anymore. And a person who is an an emotional adult is able to ask what they need, what they want, what they prefer, and they do it clearly, directly, honestly, and respectfully. That's an emotional adult. They desire for relationships to win. They're not always about being right. And, and they're able to listen with empathy. They're willing to risk saying what is needed without attacking. They respect others without having to change them. And they're able to resolve conflicts maturely and negotiate solutions. Now, what it is, it gives themselves and others room to make mistakes and not be perfect. Isn't that the way you see as an emotional adult? Well, that's the thing this morning we want to talk about. In just a second here, we're going to have a sketch. And as we uh, go through this sketch, I want you to do something. This is going to be interesting because I set this up for you. I want you to ask yourself, the people in the sketch this morning, where are they emotionally? And then we're going to come back and talk about what Scripture says about how to grow uh, into an emotional adult. Let's watch this. Jeez, where is the waiter? We've been sitting here for what? Five minutes, and no one's even said boo to us. I'm starving. Well, Joe, just look around. I mean, it is busy in here today. You know how it gets when the restaurants fill up once church gets out. Yeah, but if Pastor had been a little shorter today, we could have beat the rush. I mean, he never stopped talking. I was in that pew, and my stomach was rumbling. I about asked for seconds on communion. Joseph. Okay, okay, you're right. That kind of crossed the line. I'm getting a little blasphemous. I'm so hungry. Well, while we're waiting, why don't you kids tell us what you learned in Sunday school today? Thomas, why don't you go first? Sunday school was pretty sweet today. That's great to hear. Yeah, Jessica Calhoun wore the smoking dress today. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just kidding, Mom. Even even without that, it was pretty sweet. Great. Uh, Well... Lucy, I see that you brought your Sunday school papers into the restaurant with you. What did you learn in Sunday school today? Today our teacher told us the story of the good Mary man. Some hairy man? Samaritan. You know the story. Yeah, a guy gets robbed and all the good people kept passing him by. Only the Samaritan took pity and paid to have him patched up. That's one of my favorite parables. He was a real hero. And I drew a picture of it. 
That's the Good Samaritan. It looks more like David slaughtering Goliath. Don't be critical, Thomas. So God created his own image. He created him in the likeness of God. Genesis 1.27. That's our memory verse for this week. Very good. Now, could you memorize that a little quieter? I hope you folks haven't been waiting too long. Actually, we have. We thought maybe we'd been forgotten. I'm sorry. Two of the waitresses were coming in this morning and they got into a car accident. And the rest of us are running around like crazy trying to get all the tables covered. Well, I hope they're okay. Yeah, it sounded like it was just a fender bender, no big deal. But they had to wait around for the cops to show up and write a report. You know how it is. Okay. So, welcome to O'Reilly's. I am your waiter, and my name is Craig. Uh, why don't I get you guys started with some drinks while you look at the menus? Um, you know, I'm just going to have water with lemon, please. And Lucy here will have a glass of milk. Could I have a coffee? Uh, coffee will stunt your growth. Mom. I'm six foot four. He'll have an iced tea, please. Lame. One iced tea. And for you, sir? Coffee. Black. Got it. I will be right back. Before you go, I need something to eat. What's your soup today? We've been sitting here a long time. Well, today we have vegetable beef and my own personal favorite, chicken with wild rice. Okay, give me the chicken with rice and, and, and bring it out with the drinks. Gotcha. I'll be right back with those. And again, I'm really sorry for your wait. Coffee will stunt your growth, Dad. Yeah, I know. Car wreck, huh? That's a good one. More like he was in the back with his buddies having a smoke and didn't realize they'd seated somebody at one of his tables. Happens all the time. Well, I think I know what I want. How about you guys? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, Thomas, look at that big fat guy over there. That's his second piece of pie. And did you see that pile of fajitas he piled off? Uh, Pat ate, ate the first time? Must have been a double helping. It's lucky the tines on his forks are still there, the way he's been going at it. <laughs> wow. Oh, man, I almost forgot. Um, who are you texting, honey? Oh, uh, Archie Buchanan. I uh, told him I was going to wash the car this afternoon and to bring his truck over. I'd wash it, too. It just reminded him. Well, Joseph, that is really nice of you. Yeah, I know. But the best part is, he just got a new Callaway Diablo Octane driver for his birthday, and I want to borrow it from my golfing outing next week. I figure if I wash his truck, he'll figure he owes me. And I do have a bit of bad news, sir. It seems that we're all out of the chicken with rice soup. But we do have the beef vegetable if you're still interested. Oh, just forget it. I've waited this long. Why don't you just take our orders and, and let's get on with it. I'll have the Reuben with fries and a side of coleslaw. I'll have the O'Reilly burger with onion rings. And you, ma'am? Oh, um, um, I'll have the Southwest chicken wrap, please. And Lucy here is going to have some macaroni and cheese. All right, I'll get those in for you right away. Oh, and Craig, um, you forgot the lemon for my water, so if you have a chance and could bring some out. I'm so sorry. I'll be right back, of course. Late to the table. Doesn't know they're out of soup. Forgot the lemon.
Melinda, hand me the nickels. Oh, please, Joseph, don't make a scene. Just hand me the nickels. And a sugar for my coffee, please. Thank you. Now, Melinda, people like this need to know they can't expect something for nothing. That's what's killing this country. Children, watch and learn. This will be great. Thought for the day. The Good Samaritan was the only one who saw a man as God saw him. A child created in God's own image. Memory verse for the week. Genesis 1.27. And God so... Shh, Lucy, just a minute. Here he comes. Here you go, man. Man, again, I'm really sorry. Thank you. Hey, uh, Kurt. It's Craig. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Craig, right. I've got a question for you. Do you know what this is? Well, it looks like it's a pile of nickels. Wrong. Craig, this is your tip. And at this table, you're actually going to have to work to keep it. Say, for example, you forget the lemons. Looky here. Ten cents goes bye-bye. Look, this is clearly not going to work. I apologize for being late to the table. And I'm really, really sorry I forgot the lemons. But I'm not going to stand here and get lectured. I'm doing the best that I can. And clearly that's not good enough. So I'll tell you what. Let me go back to the kitchen and get you another server. Oh, and I forgot. Thank you for coming to O'Reilly's. And I hope you have a wonderful day. Ugh. Well, that went well. Kids, this is why you're going to college. You don't want to turn out like some lousy waiter like that guy. His name was Craig. And if you remember, I had to wait tables after we graduated from college. Yeah, but that was different. Uh, yes, Lucy, what you need? What's this thing? Application project. Application project. This week, as you see, strangers at school, or even at the store, or post office, ask yourself this question. Do you see them like the priest, or the le 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 Levite? Levite. Or like the sub-hairy man that saw people as God does, in his holy image. Well, that was easy. Easier than drawing a picture of it, anyway. Maybe for you, honey. Maybe for you. Tell you what, guys. Uh, why don't you just go out to the car? I'll just ask the waiter to box up our food. We, we can eat it at home. Waiter, check, please. Okay. How did you judge that? <clears throat> what is the father... <clears throat> if you can't figure that one out, I'll give you an easy one. Now, he's an emotional infant. He doesn't get anything, right? He just came from church, too. That's why this afternoon when you go to a restaurant, treat the waiters with respect. They hate Sunday afternoons. They do. Both my kids, my, my son's currently a waiter at a restaurant. My daughter was a waiter for several, for, during college as well. And, uh, and they said that Sunday afternoon is one of the worst times to wait on people. Shouldn't be. Not if we loved qualitatively better than, than people who were outside the church.
This morning we want to look briefly at the passage of Scripture they talked about. Uh, It's over in Luke chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning there. We're going to talk about this whole thing of of what it means to be a a grow into an emotional adult. And I just want to give you a picture of what it means to a a person who models loving well. Uh, In Scripture we see this over and over again. And and, and actually it's it's called the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, Actually... The first time, it starts off with something that we've read before and, and we've already mentioned about. It starts off with the story of someone, uh, a, a teacher of the law, coming to Jesus and saying to him, uh, tell me the most important commandment there is. And what did he tell him? He said, the greatest commandment of all is to love your neighbor, is to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus uh, and, the, and Jesus said, you've, you've answered correctly. Jesus replied, do this and you will live. And then, then the, the teacher says this. He says, but he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And so he tells the story. Coming right out of the story about what is the most important commandment that we can have, he tells, he tells him a story. And this story goes this way in verse 30 and following. It says, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, when he fell into the hands of robbers and they stripped him of his clothes, they beat him and they went away, leaving him half dead. And a priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the same side, on the other side, excuse me. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, it took pity on him. And he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Then Jesus asked the question of this teacher. He says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And then Jesus said, go and do likewise. This parable, this very simple story is a story that really exemplifies and, sh- and fleshes out this whole thing of what it means to be an emotionally and spiritually mature adult. It's a person who not only understands things up here. And last week we talked about the whole thing of, of connecting with God on a regular basis through keeping the Sabbath and, and a thing we call the daily office where we st- connect with God. L- let me share with you something that's very important for us to understand. You can do every spiritual discipline perfectly well and still miss out on the main thing. You can every day, you know, do all the things well. And if you don't love people well, you've missed out on the main thing. Because that is what God, Jesus says. He says to us, he says, the most important thing is, to us to love, is for us to love people and to love God. In this little story here, you know, Jesus doesn't go into a lot of details. He just simply says there's two guys that came down the road first, a priest and a Levite. These were both church-going people. Uh, leaders in the church. These were people who were busy people. We don't know exactly what they where they were going, what they were doing, but they were traveling down this road. But neither one of them, because they knew all the right words, a, a priest and Levite were people who knew all of Scripture. And they not only did that, but they practiced all the spiritual disciplines in their lives. They did all the good church things to, to make sure that they were connected with God, but the problem was they had a disconnect from loving well. And it shows in how they, they just treated this guy that was on the side of the road, the guy who was in need, the guy who was, you know, it could have been a bother to them. 
Uh, what were the reasons that they, they disconnected or did not love him well? Maybe they were preoccupied. Maybe the priest was thinking about his sermon he was getting ready to preach. The Levite maybe was thinking about something he was getting ready to do at the temple. We don't know what it is that he caused them to do that. Maybe maybe they were frightened. Maybe they were realizing this road is a dangerous place to go, and so I don't want to, you know, slow down anymore. I don't want to. It could be a, could be a ruse. It could be something wrong. Uh, maybe they felt like they were inadequate. Maybe they were fatigued from from all the work they were doing. There was a, thought, a thousand possible reasons for them to, to treat it to uh, to deal with it this way. The most important thing was this, though. They lacked a soft heart out of which compassion flows. And by comparison, of all the people that Jesus could have made the hero of the story, he makes a Samaritan. And unless you know Scripture, you don't know what that means. A Samaritan is somebody probably, if you could think of somebody who is so different from you, so different from you culturally, religiously, and, and they have, and they, uh, that you really don't even like that that group of people too much, whatever that happens to be. None of us are prejudiced at all, right? No biases in our lives. But the issue is it's that kind of a person. The Samaritan was person was they thought that they were just so far from God that the priest and the Levite would think that they were so far from God that they couldn't possibly be somebody who cared. But in this story, the Samaritan spent the time that was important. He did what was important. He lived out his love in, in a very important way. And it says in verse 33, he saw and he took pity upon the man. He had compassion. Jews and Samaritans hated each other. And, and it, was, it was a phrase that says, he who eats breads of Samaritans, he who, eats, who, he who eats the bread of Samaritans is like the one who eats the flesh of pigs. I thought that was a strange quote. For somebody who is for a Jewish person to think about, but this Samaritan lives out. He he's not necessarily a religious person. He's not necessarily someone who who knows all the teachings. He doesn't hasn't gone to church. Maybe he doesn't know all the things. But he exemplifies in the story what it really means to be someone who loves God, and, and because out of that love flows love for other people as well. And at the end of the story, Jesus says, "Go and do likewise. Go and do likewise." Now, the reason that I said this morning as I started off talking about the connection between emotional health and spiritual health is that the person who is emotionally immature, what is their focus in life? What is their focus? This is not a hard question. Me. Me. A baby. Think of a baby. What does a baby think about? Not because, you know, we're thinking it's wrong. It's just they're emotionally immature. But what does a baby think about? Me. I mean, if they want something, they cry. If It's all about me. And part of the process of growing up as a person and becoming not only physically mature but emotionally mature is that we begin to less and less and less think about me and we begin to think about others. And where do we learn who to think about things with? Where do we learn that? We learn that in our family growing up, right? That's the main place we learn how to relate to other people. Well, I want to share with you two keys this morning, two things uh, to, uh, to help us to understand how do we grow into an emotionally mature adult. First of all is this, and we talked about this several weeks ago, but I want to bring it back up again, is this. We have to become aware of our family of origin's capability for, for emotional connection. I shared this before, but 
Every time someone comes into my office to get do premarital counseling, one of the first things I ask them to tell them, I said, tell me, tell me about the family you grew up in. And I tell, ask them this, tell me about your parents. Tell me about their relationship. You know why I ask them that question? Because for better or for worse, we learn a lot of things. And the most things we learn about how to relate a husband and a wife together, we learn from our parents. And so people that come to me and, and they have an issue about, you know, they have an issue and they, and they start sharing with me and they've both grown up in totally dysfunctional families or had all kinds of issues and been through, their families have been through divorce. I know that they have all these barriers to having a healthy relationship. It doesn't mean they can't have a healthy relationship, but it means they have some barriers. They have to be aware of that family of origin's capability to influence them in some ways that they sometimes are not even aware of. And so that's the first key. If we're going to become emotionally mature as an adult, we have to realize where we came from. We have to look back and so we can go forward. Now, it's not to judge our family that we grew up in. It's, that's not the purpose, to judge them. The purpose is to be aware of where we learned certain things. What did you learn from your family? For instance, did you learn to trust? Maybe. Maybe not. Uh, did you learn to respect others and to take turns? Maybe, maybe not. Did, did, you, did your parents or caregivers understand your behavior? Did they just let you do any old thing you wanted to do? Or did they try to structure it in some ways, which you called, you know, being mean as a child? But, but that happened anyway. So did you learn that way? Did, were your feelings allowed? How, you know, how did your parents handle fear, shame, anger, sadness, jealousy? Were they critical or did they help you along the way to deal with those emotions that you had in your life? Were you allowed to be a child? I mean, some families, you know, they expect, I will never forget, I will never forget. Years and years and years ago when we were at a retreat, my wife and I at a minister and spouse retreat with our families. And, and we were up in a, a place called Oak Hill Academy, which is over in the mountains of, of southwest Virginia. And we were there at this, this retreat center. And, I, you know, when we have kind of normal kids, our kids uh, are not perfect. They, uh, they don't do, you know, uh, if you expect perfection out of our kids, then forget it. Because they have imperfect parents is the problem. And, and so the issue was, I think I have good kids, but not perfect kids. But we went there, and I will never forget these little kids that were sitting there. And I believe in discipline and having structure in our kids. But these little kids, they had these four little kids, and they were from ages two, three, four, and five. And they were sitting there. And we had stuff for kids in, 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 uh, in worship. Um, uh, they had a worship service for adults and for the teenagers, and then they had a, a place for the kids to go. Well, these kids came in with their parents, and they sit there, two, three, four, and five-year-olds, next to their parents, between their parents. The father had a ruler, and every time one of the kids would do something other than sit at detention, he would smack them with it. And I watched them the whole week, and those kids never had any fun. They never had any fun. They were always, you know, be, you know, be the right child. And I'm going like, those kids are just not kids. And I wondered now, this was years ago, I wonder what kind of adults those kids are. You see, we learn lots of things in the families we grew up in. And we have to be aware of how, where we learn those things and how they affect us. That's the first step. The second step, though, is this, is that once we're aware of that, then we take the steps that are necessary 
to grow into an emotionally mature adult. Because becoming an emotionally mature and spiritually mature adult is not automatic. We have to take some steps. We have to develop a structure. We have to be intentional or it won't happen. Next week we're going to talk about how to do that. But I'll share with you that that is, that is an important part of who we are and what we need to do. Because we can go forward, but we have to look back first to do that because we have to ask ourselves, why do I act this? You know, like last Sunday afternoon. Why do I, why am I thinking like this? Why am I acting this way? I'm an emotionally mature adult. I don't have to sit around and beat myself up, but I was doing it anyway. And so we have to ask ourselves those questions. You see, the Christian life, the, the process of growing as a Christian, you know, we want instant answers. But the Christian life is more like a marathon. Now, I've never run a marathon. I don't plan on running a marathon. Now, Chris has run a marathon. Some of you guys have run marathons. But I understand this about people that prepare for marathons. You don't go out and say, I'm going to run a marathon, and tomorrow go out and run 26 miles. It's a process of running the mile. And if you make it the mile, then you go, maybe I can make it two miles next week. And the next week you do two miles, then three, then four. And you begin the process of building up endurance in your life, but it's a process. And when you do that, what it is is you, you have the opportunity to grow. And the Christian life is the same way. And so often we say, well, I can't do that. I can't do Well, yes, you can because... That's where it says with Christ, all things, with God, all things are possible because he gives us in our life his spirit, which allows us and gives us the power to keep sticking to the plan. But you've got to have a plan. You've got to realize where you came from and you've got you to have a plan to grow and go beyond where that was. You don't have to allow the past to control your current time in your life. You know, I love, I love weddings to a degree. Weddings are always wonderful times. People are always uh, uh, all happy. I'm getting ready to do a couple this year. One of them is going to be my son in, in June. He's getting married. And we're going to go to Fort Wayne. And, and, you know, for some reason, the girl always, you always do it where the girl's from. I don't know why that's the deal. But, um, but anyway, we're going to Fort Wayne to do a wedding. But one of the things I'll do in the wedding is I'll read out of 1 Corinthians 13. It talks about love. But you remember what it says in 1 Corinthians 13 about love, the importance of love? It says this. It says... It says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I'm only resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all of my possessions to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Now, you think that Paul was, import- was stressing the importance of love there? He was just emphasizing what God, through Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, God's Son, had already said in Matthew 22 and Luke 10. The most important thing we can do is to love God and to love others. But it also reminded me of another illustration that happens at weddings as well. Uh, maybe when I pull these two things up here. You know, y'all ever seen this before? What's that? Unity candle. You know what that represents? It says, I've done this so many times, I can do it off the top of my head. I, you know, I say, now today is these two, is this couple, y'all like the unity candle, they, the, the joining together of their two lives will become one. If they light the central candle, it, it, it unifies or signifies this joining together of their two lives. And so the two candles are lit many times by the parents, the mothers of the, of the, of the bride and the groom. And then they take the candle and they light the central candle. And when they light the central candle, then they take that 
and they turn away, blow it out, and it leaves the central candle lit. I've often wondered, though, because the two become one. But I was reading a book the other day, and it raised a question about this. Does it mean that they two become equal ones together, or which one becomes the most important one? Because we're human beings, and sometimes the symbolism is that two people become perfectly one. That's the symbolism. But the reality is, is that the reason people have so much problem in marriage is because down the road, they want, they, you know, this candle wants to hold the, hold the keys to everything else, wants to be the controlling one. Do you know there's a symbol in, in, in uh, symbolism in scripture that says, that often calls, it says that, that the church is the bride of Christ? You know what that means? What's the church? A building? No, it's people. It means that in a sense it's given a symbol that we are joined together with Christ, that Christ and us are joined together and we become one. But the issue there is not, the issue that we have to understand is this, is that when the two become one there, we become one in Christ, with God, in Christ. What happens is there is no option other than for us to allow God to be the one. To be the controlling factor. And so often we keep fighting and we keep pushing back because we're emotionally immature. We're afraid to let go. And because of that so often what happens is is we never become who God wants us to be. I'd ask you this morning, as we close the service this morning, we sing a closing song here in just a minute. Let me ask you this question. You know, where are you with God? Where are you emotionally? You know, as we looked at those, those uh, uh, <laughs> that little grouping of of emotional infant, uh, child, adolescent, and adult, where do you think you are? If you don't know, next week I'm going to give you the whole test and so you can take it home and you can figure out where you are exactly if you're honest. And the reality is all of us are a mixture of a lot of things. We would hope that we're always emotionally an adult, which allows us to be a person who is not focused on ourselves, but focused on and have the ability to love God and to love others. But the problem is, unless we understand where we came from and and the barriers that keep us that keep us from living a life of love, then we'll never then we'll never get to the place where we need to go. And the way we do that is we begin a process of growing in Christ. Next week we're going to talk about how how we need to have a new set of rules in our life. A new set of rules that will allow us to grow in Christ. I hope that during this this series over the last seven weeks, and as we wrap up next week, the eighth week of this series, that it's brought to, to mind a few things that are important to you. But the most important thing is this, that God says to be a spiritually mature believer that we must love well. We can know all things. We can know all things. We can do all things. But unless we love well, we've missed the point of what God wants us to be and to do as believers. I hope this week you'll also take that little thing on the back of your bulletin uh, that says about examine yourself. And you'll do that last part because next week we'll give you the whole thing. And uh, you get to uh, have fun with that and take it home and and, uh, learn all kind of things about yourself that maybe you didn't want to know. I sure did when I did it. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.